You're listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf. Teen Wolf fam, Wolf Pack. It has been a long time. <laughs> and we're sorry about that, but things got out of hand. It was a holiday. You know how it is. You know when life goes bad and then you're like, I know it's going to get worse. You're not like, it can't get worse than this. You're like, no, it the will. other shoe is going <laughs> to drop. Yeah, that's where we were at. So yeah, I was working like every day last week and then I got sick and then our mic broke and then I got really sick and then it was Thanksgiving. So we were dealing with like family. Ew. But luckily... <laughs> We're back talking to the family we really love, which is the wolf pack. The wolf pack. Not that I don't love my family, but you know Thanksgiving has its own. It's its own special thing. If yeah. you're not American <laughs> or Canadian, wow, Thanksgiving. Um, <laughs> it brings out the worst in your family. Like, if you're just on a family vacay or you're just all home for some reason, everyone's usually chill, but Thanksgiving is like, it releases like a neurotoxin that makes everybody on be on their worst behavior. It's the turkey. Maybe. I think, well, turkey, one, is disgusting, and two... Wrong. It, Wrong. Oh, it's so gross. No. But it is also, I think, what turns people into raving lunatics on Thanksgiving. Like, I think that that's what that is. I like turkey. I think it's fine as a deli meat. No, you gotta brine but, it. Dry brine. Per bon appetit. I don't... I don't like it, but this is... It's neither here nor there for this... I actually okay. think, if we're being truly honest with ourselves, it's uh, the booze. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I got over from Thanksgiving, and I was like, "Oh, my liver." Um, I only celebrate Thanksgiving with my immediate family, and then we go to uh, my sister's best friend's house for dessert, where I absolutely drink too much. But that just that just serves to make me quiet. So I'm like just sitting there listening to everyone talk about their things. So we don't it doesn't really ever get out of hand. It's just quiet. There is not a single Skillion who would elect to be quiet at a family meal, so... Also, my Australian family ate with us this year, so big party. Nice. Yes. Anyway, welcome to the Teen Wolf Free Wolf podcast, a podcast which, if you didn't remember because it's been a while, we treat Teen Wolf like your English teacher in high school wanted you to treat the blue of the curtains in whatever book you were reading. My name is Christian. And I'm Julia. And yeah, we're here to discuss episode 11 of season one. I can't believe we're almost done. We're almost there. Next episode is the finale. So this one, um, cannot believe that I did not write down the title of the episode. It's formality. Okay, thank Hee-ha. you so much. Yeah. The one time I wrote down the title of the episode. <laughs> oh, excellent, because my paper just says season one, episode 11. I was telling uh, Julia earlier that one of my observations for this episode just says, Kate sucks. <laughs> She really they, does. They are, we are very astute uh, um, yeah. observers of this this show. Um, so this episode was um, written by Monica Maser and directed by Russell Mulcahy. And I just want you all to know that when I was home for Thanksgiving, I saw the movie that Russell Mulcahy probably is most famous for making, which I'd always seen on his IMDb page and kind of ignored because I'd never seen it and therefore it wasn't important. But it's called Highlander, and it came out in 1986, and it will be a bonus episode because it is absolutely batshit insane. It is about a group of immortals who can only die by chopping off one another's heads with swords. I don't know if I quite agreed to that being a bonus episode, but sure. Okay, when you were telling me about this movie, I thought you were thinking about it, like, nostalgically. No. And, like, this was a movie from childhood no, that no, you wanted no. me to watch? Uh-uh. No. You watched this recently, and you think we should do it as a bonus episode? I watched episode? this recently. Okay, so what's interesting about um, the 
what's interesting about Highlander is that the first movie has a 69% on Rotten Tomatoes. The second nice. one, yes, nice. Um, but the second one is widely considered to be the worst movie ever made, and Roger Ebert gave it a half star. I have a question. So, I mean, <laughs> that's in comparison to like The Room, right? Yeah, I mean, but it's it's like it was made in the eighties, okay. so. Um, but it's it's really interesting. It's got Sean Connery in it. Um, I yeah, I should have led with that. Yeah, but, maybe um, maybe I would have been more interested. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm just like, Meh. it's also got um, a Queen soundtrack, and it's also it was really interesting watching that movie, having seen a bunch of Teen Wolf episodes that this man has directed, because like on his IMDb page, it's like his signature is water, and you can really tell in Highlander because it's water. All over the place, all the time, in all the fight scenes. Um, you could say that about like a lot of directors, though. Yeah, but it's like very prevalent. Like I would say, like uh, Guillermo del Toro's signature is water. Um, well, he made a movie called The Shape of Water, so I feel like yes. But, but... I was also thinking about Pacific Rim. Well, the thing about... and a lot of other Guillermo del Toro movies. <laughs> the thing about Highlander is like okay, so in the first fight scene, um, like all of the fire sprinklers go off in this like underground garage that they were fighting in, and then in the final scene, they like. I don't know, knock over a water tower or something, or like, you know, one of those silos that sits on top of like tall buildings. Okay. Um, and then, I think that's still a water tower. Yeah, probably, but not like the kind that No, you I see know what you're saying. You're I just think that silos are yeah. brand exclusive. Yeah, probably. You know, you can die in a silo. Like, there are people every year who drown in grain silos who like suffocate to death. That them. does not surprise me in the least. Yeah. That's very American. I, it's also just like farm accidents. Yeah, it's very sad. There used to be a silo over at uh, the horse camp where I used to work, and my mom was like, never go near that thing. She's like, I don't want you to die, which is like, wow, my parents are truly from Kansas. <laughs> like, they're not worried about the fact that I used to live in a state that was in 99.9% water. They're like, don't drown in the grain silo. True. Well, you can swim in water. You can't swim in grain. No, because it's like quicksand. But I'm sure the more you struggle, the worse it gets. Yeah. Um, How did they find yeah. you? What? Oh, how do they find you in green yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like uh, it starts to smell, probably. Uh, ew! You asked the question. I hate when you listen to true crime and they're like, and it smelled so bad that all the police had to go outside and vomit. And you're like... I didn't need to know. I didn't want to know that. Yeah. I didn't want to know that things can smell that bad. Um, real quick, back to Highlander. The most We're never talking about Teen Wolf. <laughs> okay, back to Highlander. Um, the, the most important part of Highlander is that there's this like final battle scene because there can only be one immortal. We'll get into the plot when we do it as a bonus episode. Which we are not, but which sure. Which we sure are. No. Um, if we do Highlander, you have to watch The Covenant with me. I have already said that I will watch The Covenant with you. It's actually kind of similar. <laughs> Um, in the in the battle scene when they like knock all of the water onto the roof and they're fighting in the water on the roof for some reason they like fall through the roof like through five stories of this factory and the water just disappears like it doesn't it doesn't fall down through the hole it's it's just magically gone um, I was, was hoping like, this would be like a Tom Holland doing umbrella <laughs> for lip sync battle situation where they're no. just fighting in the water or dancing in the water sadly the water. no but I mean it is it is pretty delightful um I actually think it's a very decent, like, B sci-fi fantasy film. Because they're, they're potentially aliens. I don't actually know. But, um, anyway, Russell Mulcahy, far more interesting than I thought he would. I, the title sequence came up, and while Queen is playing, because it has a Queen soundtrack, and I was like, Russell Mulcahy! And my stepdad literally had to stop, because he was like, what are you talking about? So that's funny. Teen Wolf. You know that thing in Elf, and he's like, I know him! That was you. <laughs> Literally, yes. yes. We talk about his great many works in the first season. 
I'm kind of wondering when we get to the second season, like, how directing and writing is going to end up changing. I think it changes a fair bit season two to three, but I don't know how much it changes season one to two. Yeah, well, because three is just such... Both three and three B are such exceptional seasons that you're like... Well, I mean, like, they they changed location. I think they changed creative team. I think Jeff Davis took a step back in that season a little bit. Or maybe that's season four. Interesting. Well, well, you know what? We'll find out. We will not know (laughs) until we get through the first and also second season of Teen Wolf. So. That's true. We should probably go ahead and do our 60-second recap. Which, by the way, you and I went first last time. I checked. That's true. And I'm really trying to remember the, um... Plot of this episode. Yeah, we watched this episode twice, and we were both like, nothing stuck. Um, it was just boring. It is just, I mean, it is a true penultimate episode where, like, it is just leading up to the big battle of the next episode. It's so a lot of stuff does happen, but not like. What I think that they're trying to do and kind of fail, honestly, is building up a sense of like anxiety about what's going to happen um, because I don't feel any immediate like concern for people except for Lydia. But we'll get to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really didn't either. Yeah, I'm kind of, like, very passive about it. And I said earlier, like, Styles kind of cracks a joke about, like, letting Derek die. And I was like... Oh, he really could. He really could. And I was kind of like, I think Styles is smarter than that. I think Styles takes life and death seriously, even if it is somebody he doesn't like. We have some character quibbles for this episode. We do. Yeah. Um... Are you going to time I don't have my phone. Oh, okay. Here, ready? I'll time myself. Okay, fine. I trust you. All right, ready? I'm a bad millennial right now. I have no idea where my phone is. Um, three, two, one. Okay, so um, we're back in the basement and where Derek is being held captive. Allison learns a whole bunch of secrets and then she runs away because she's deeply upset and traumatized. She gets pulled over by the sheriff because she was going, what, 85 and a 35 in a construction zone or something sassy like that. And she cries um and asks her him to write her a ticket um deaton ends up being the one who has rescued scott after his gunshot peter shows up at the clinic um but can't get through because of mountain ash which becomes a huge plot point later on in the series and uh tells scott basically that he could find allison wherever um cut to there's like some school stuff where uh scott can't go to the dance he threatens jackson to take allison to the dance even though he doesn't really want to um, they go shopping at Macy's. Peter is there. It's really awkward. Um, Lydia has to take Styles um, as punishment for kissing Scott, I guess. Um, the dance happens. Jackson gets into some, you know, shenanigans with Chris, even though he doesn't want to. Um, and then Peter attacks Lydia, and I ran out of time, but it didn't go off. Okay. That's okay. That's your last Um Great. Like, a lot of nothing happens, right? It's a lot of minutiae to make the dance happen, which I don't think they needed. Who doesn't go to a homecoming in a group? Yeah. Although it's like the winter formal. Did you dance? have winter dances at your school? Oh, we did have a, um, like a glow dance. Like it was like a blacklight dance. You wore neons, but they had to cancel it because um, one of my friends got alcohol poisoning once. Um, <laughs> which, high school. <laughs> I honest, I think that my senior year, someone conned the administration into giving us a winter formal that absolutely no one went to. And then instead, everyone uh, two weeks later went to the jazz dance, which is just a community like jazz the school jazz band plays and like the community comes and they're like their 40s outfits and you like you jazz dance that's adorable it's, it was really do you mean fun. swing dance i think you mean swing. i do mean i it was called the jazz dance everyone was swing dancing Got it. at the jazz dance yep yeah well we also had a barn dance which i never went to that seems wildly out of character for you to not go to a barn dance oh 
To not go to a barn? Yes. To not go to a high school dance? No. <laughs> but a barn dance, that sounds like it sounds like a barn raising. But you didn't do it at a barn. You just dressed like a cowboy and they did it in the gym. Oh, well, that's stupid. I wasn't going to waste my Western garb on that. If it were actually at a barn, would you have gone? Yeah, totally. Okay. I look amazing in my Western clothes. I know. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, are we ready? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. You know what? <laughs> We'll see. We'll, we'll see. Okay. Yeah, okay. Three, two, and one. So Kate shows Allison all of the terrible awful about, like, capturing Derek, and she basically makes all these reasons to why Derek is less than human, and that's why it's okay to torture him, and Allison freaks out, and she's driving home, and um, it's really crazy that the sheriff doesn't breathalyze her, one, mm. one, and then she asks him to get her ticket, she goes home, and then... Uh, Scott can't go to the dance, but so he makes Jackson take Allison and, because his grades are really bad, and the, the coach yells at him. <laughs> and then he's still looking for his phone. He still doesn't know where it is, and Styles is like, we should let Derek die. And then Allison and Lydia shop for dresses, and Lydia, Allison tells Lydia that she has to take Styles to the dance because she made out with Scott. And so they're basically not switched partners, but, like, kind of. And then Scott is figuring out a way to get into the dance, and Melissa's really sad that she never got a call back from Peter. And then Deaton t- saves Scott, but that was at the beginning of the episode. And then the dance happens, and then... <laughs> Uh, Jackson still wants to be a werewolf, and then Peter attacks Lydia, and that's where it leaves off. Um, oh, wait, no, no, no. It leaves off with, uh, or didn't, finding Scott. Yes. Um, oh, yeah, with the, the, there we go. Yeah. The really, the game of chicken. Really risky game of chicken that they play. Um, nice. Thanks. That was good. Informative, funny, entertaining. Cheers. (laughs) Anyway, back to Teen Wolf. Um... So this week, we watched this episode through the theme of manipulation. Yes, that we did. People do a lot of skeevy stuff to get other people to do what they want in this episode. Which is interesting because I feel like a lot of Teen Wolf hinges on the fact that, like, these kids are inherently good. Um, but they're, they're, being, they're being a little skeevy today. Well, this- it's funny because I, I think that, that that's, like, a sort of, like... I don't think you should be counting with moral absolutism in this case. No, because, no, like, no. I don't think Allison is a bad person for wanting to get back at Lydia. Oh, I don't think so either. And I also think that in some, like, in, in certain situations of the manipulation, it is in service of others. Like, uh, well, let's talk about Scott, because that's who I really want to talk about. Um, yeah, screw Allison. <laughs> no, no, no. I want to talk about Allison, too. Okay, go ahead. But I was just thinking. But let's talk about Scott Chronologically, first. in the episode, um, Scott... Uh, is told that he can't go to the dance, which uh, was he? No, that's a question. I should write that down. But anyway, he convinces Jackson uh-huh. through like glowing his eyes at him and his teeth like rise up out of his face, mm-hmm. like his werewolf teeth. And then Jackson, all sweaty, goes up to Lydia. I would hope they'd be his werewolf teeth, otherwise, he's <laughs> yeah. some serious dental work he needs done. Um, so Jackson goes up to Allison and is like, will you go to the dance with me as friends, as friends, as friends? Like, mm-hmm. and uh, only because Scott threatened to eat him? This is the same question we had last week. No, I don't think Scott threatened to eat him. But what what is your point? Is that Scott is, Scott's in that maybe not necessarily manipulating him so much as threatening him? Is that what you're saying? Um, no, I do think that it is, I think that they're kind of like very similar, but he's not doing it. He's doing it to help Allison. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I think that manipulation and, and threat are different mm-hmm. in the fact that threat is direct, whereas like manipulation is as a guiding hand a little bit more. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, in that sense, Scott is in a way manipulating Allison. Yeah. Yeah. Because he gets Jackson. Yeah, and then to I think that's her interesting. Out. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think he threatens yeah. Jackson and in that case manipulates Allison. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he manipulates Jackson too because he's also, I think, in that case, showing off what Jackson wants. I think he's be- being a little bit like, remember, like, I want what you, I have what you want mm. um, to show him the teeth, you know? Yeah. Because is... for some for God's sake and reason, Jackson still wants to be a werewolf after the last episode, which is like. Crazy. Huh? Like, what? I mean, teenage brain. Is a very powerful drug. It is. Um, Remember we used to just do stuff when you're 16, and then now you think about doing it, you'd be like, that could have killed me. Constantly. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Very dumb. And technically, because your brain doesn't even finish until you're 25, I'm not even done cooking yet. I'm baked through. I'm you're good. You're welcome. Good yeah. for you. <laughs> uh, I, I don't feel, feel to that be an way. adult. <laughs> it feels absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Scott, uh, Scott has so many balls in the air at all times, um, because he's trying to juggle his friends, and Styles is the only one helping him, and sometimes doesn't even really help. No. Yeah. How are you feeling about Scott in this episode? Manipulation, etc. I don't think he makes a lot of active choices, which is annoying. Mm-hmm. I think his one active, he makes like two, he makes the, the choice to make, um, Jackson take Alice in the dance, and then selfishly... That which is selfish, and then he goes to the dance. But the weird thing is, is I don't actually even understand why he wants to do either of those things. That's a good... It is really... And it's funny, because the only person who we know why they're going to the dance, after all of this, is Allison, and it's because Kate is basically like, you need to maintain the facade of a normal teenage girl and go to the dance and have fun with your friends. But if your friend group is in that much of disarray, usually your plans like that fall apart, which is, I think, why how a lot of people end up not going to certain dances or whatever, like Mm -hmm. events... Yeah, I mean, I think that if Scott has any motivation in taking Allison to the dance, it is to keep her from Peter, because if she's in that group of people, she's, like, insulated by a crowd. Maybe, but she's almost safer with her parents. True teenage brain. I don't know. Um, And, well, and I also think that Scott might be thinking that if he can get to her and talk to her and they can dance and, like, kiss, which they do, Mm -hmm. um, maybe he can convince her. Win her back. Yeah. Then my question isn't necessarily why does he go to the dance. It's, like, why is this his major priority? I don't know. And I think think dances are a really big part of all teen television, all teen media. I mean, like, so many movies, shows are based around the big dance or whatever. And you get this really, really delightful scene where Melissa helps him get ready, and it's just so, so sweet. But it's just, like, the last thing I would be thinking about if I were Scott. Yeah, and also, I think it would be remiss to not have a dance scene in Teen Wolf, but... I guess it came at the wrong place. Yeah, it's usually a much bigger deal, and you kind of can't focus on it because of everything else that's going on. This is actually my main problem with The Covenant. Um, besides all the fact that it's really <laughs> terrible, but like in the covenant, they go to like this this weird like um, Hogwartsian like boarding school, and there's like these these witches the the who are the covenant, mm-hmm. and like all of a sudden, like the main guy in the uh, in their friend group has to like fight Sebastian Stan to keep his witch powers. Um, but also there's a dance going on and they like have to go do a scene at the dance but like the dance was not a part of the beginning of the movie slash you don't even know what's happening until the end of the movie so you're like 
what is happening? There are there are higher stakes. You could die if you lose your witch powers. I mean, you could die if you don't lose them. Like, who cares about a dance? And uh, Teen Wolf is like, we don't even, we kind of know this dance is happening, but not really. And then all of a sudden there's a dance and it's like, who who could possibly be caring about this dance? I know we're supposed to be talking about manipulation, but. No, they don't hype. They don't hype up the right things. No. In this episode. No. Because, okay, we figured out who the alpha is. So that's not like the driving mysterious force anymore, but you have to know that it's going to come to a head because it's a 12 episode season. This is episode 11. They're not. They didn't hype up the dance enough initially for us to be like, oh, yeah, the dance is going to happen. And then what are we supposed to care about now that the dance is over? Yeah. And now that the dance is over, you have to go back to real life, but you only have one app to to sum it up. Yeah. It it just seems like... I like how I was like, that's my main problem with the covenant. (laughs) There are many. (laughs) It is horrible. Um... I will watch it with you. I no, well, it, you'll have a, a fantastic time. I know. Yeah. You will really enjoy watching Highlander. Okay. Well, um, fine. We're, we're not on this podcast to air our dirty laundry. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, it, people get the flavor of our relationship. Yeah, which is just being like sitting down and being like, watch this. <laughs> Read this. Read this. Watch this. Yeah. It's good, though. It's some- That's how a Captain America marathon almost ended our friendship. <laughs> Anyway, can we talk about manipulation? <laughs> can we talk about Pepe, Sylvia? Can we talk about manipulation? Well, yeah, um, let's talk about <laughs> the ladies of this episode. Let's talk about Kate, because she sucks. Sucks so hard. She's horrible, and she really... I think she's a gifted villain in that she achieves her villainy, and it, her biggest achievement is, like, convincing Allison. Mm-hmm. Does she convince Al- Well, she does, but we don't really see it, the connection in this episode. We just no. see Allison being really distraught. It comes to a head in the finale. Yeah. Um, but she really lays those seeds of, um, I don't want to call it doubt, but, like, suspicion, like, mm, rumination. She, like, gives things, she gives Allison things to think about. She does, like, I mean, like, in a way she is expanding her worldview. Yeah. But she wants Allison's to reflect hers. When you have all of the information, which is kind of what she's doing, she's now also offering Allison her bias. Yeah. As opposed to presenting it as matter of fact. Well, and she um, makes it very clear that, like, Allison's parents aren't telling her because they don't trust um, Allison to react well, which is incredibly manipulative because that, I mean... It makes Allison question how her parents think about her. It, you know, it makes Allison feel like, oh my god, Kate, like, really believes in me that I can handle this. You know what it kind of reminds me of is, like, a sort of grooming tactic that, Absolutely. like, men who who prey on young women will use is just being like, well, I find you, I she's really mature for her age. I think mm-hmm. you're more mature yep. than other people see you as, which is how people young women can be duped into being like well i am a for my age i can handle this i can do it think this way which yeah. is scary and horrible well and i think it's really important that we see her in action using that on allison because it makes it a lot easier for us to understand how derek could have fallen for it mm-hmm. because he did because um, she's a serial predator yeah and she she referenced like after allison leaves the room licks derek 
She licks him so in gross. such a terrible way. And I think that there is... I it, Well, it's funny because we actually see it from... I think this is definitely a symptom of, like, men writing this show. It's very male gazy. It's, it's very male gazy, but my, and my point here is that, like, I think that, like, sexual villainy is used, especially in this episode. Like, when Peter is talking to Allison in Macy's, it's mm-hmm. not explicit, but you as, like, a watcher, especially if you're a female, are, like, I know what it feels like to be in danger because an older man is talking to me. Yep. So they can capture, like, what it feels like to, to like, what, like, um, sort of, like, uh, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for. Like, how people can use their sexuality to um, victimize other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but they try to use the same tactics kind of for Kate that they would use for a man, and that makes it really weird. She doesn't become a femme fatale. She just kind of becomes gross. Yeah. And I don't think she should be a femme fatale. Like I said earlier to you, like I don't necessarily think that villains need to be have like redemption. I just think that her execution, writing wise, is really bad. Well, there's and there's nothing relatable about her because, like, okay, I I love a villainess. Like, yeah, I, me too. Sign me up. Yeah, I like when and when you think about villainesses that you really love, so like Ursula or Maleficent, it's because something happened to them that is deeply relatable, and you can understand where they're coming from. Kate's just evil. And I think there are very few people who can, like, empathize with that. Yeah, and it's not even just villainesses. That's, like, villains in general. Like, you're way more mm-hmm. likely to, to un- like... Yeah, but... Know, I- it's When Taika Waititi was asked about playing, like, the mm-hmm. imaginary friend version of Hitler in Jojo Rabbit, somebody was like, did you do any research? And he was like, no, that guy was an asshole. Mm-hmm. Which is fair, because Hitler, you don't... He doesn't need a backstory that makes anybody think you know, kindly of him because, yes, he was an asshole mm-hmm. and nobody should really give him any sim- sympathy points ever at all. But when you're doing it on such a small scale, when you're not talking about a holocaust, when you're talking about, like, this, if you had a story where, like, and we do later learn the Archie backstory, but if you had a story where Kate was personally, like, felt mm-hmm. threatened by werewolves or whatever and had, like, a story where she could be like, I didn't feel strong until I was able to protect myself, blah, 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 blah. She'd be way more interesting to watch, but instead she just sucks. Yeah, it's it, she's not understandable. No, no. Her motives like, are actually non-existent because there's nothing that motivates her besides um, the, what the writers say. Yeah. It, she mean, has no motives. She's just evil on principle. She's just a, a sociopath. Like, yeah, which is uninteresting know. to me. Uh, yeah. And, I mean, and I, I bring up villainesses because when I when I dislike women on TV shows I really try to take a step back and ask myself why I don't like them because oftentimes it's a reflection on how I feel about myself or how I've been like raised slash taught to think about women yeah um, but we've talked so, on end yeah. about how Allison didn't sit mm-hmm. well with us at first and then yeah. we had to check our you know whatever but like if you interrogate Kate more I don't hate her because of any, like, deep-seated internal misogyny. No, it's just it's not about her being a woman. Yeah. She just sucks. And, like, there are villains later who I feel similarly about. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yes. Manipulation. She manipulates Allison. And then I kind of want to talk about um, Allison mm-hmm. now. And what she, her role in, in all this manipulation plays. And she manipulates Lydia into going to the dance with Styles, And it it is not like she's doing it necessarily out of personal gain. It's because she doesn't actually achieve anything from Lydia going to the dance with Styles, other than, like, her having done it. It's more about being, like, 
we are now even. This isn't evening the playing field. I'm going to make you feel guilty for what you did and do something you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. And after it's over, we can forget about it. It does. It's not something that inv- it, it advances for the long run. It's something that is a <laughs> fix. Yeah. For something that happened in the previous episode. Yeah. There's, there's this episode of New Girl. I don't know why this is my new uh, reference point for everything. Well, as long but... as it's not Riverdale. <laughs> it's not. It's, I'm really far behind, so I have nothing topical to bring up. But um, there's an episode on New Girl where um, Cece and Jess, who are the two main female characters, um, have, like, never been in a real fight because, like, quote-unquote girl fights are very passive-aggressive, or at least, like, that's how they're perceived. And the dudes, when they fight... This isn't really exemplified in the rest of the series, but, like, in this particular episode, they, like, punch each other in the nuts, and it's fine. And they keep encouraging Jess and Cece, like, you just need to punch each other, and it'll be fine. I think this is Allison and Lydia's version of punching each other. Because it's like, you do this, you get it over with, Mm -hmm. all is forgiven. Playing field, even. Yes. Um, Yeah, I just think that this is, like, a one-two punch, we're done, we can go back to being... Best friends. What, because... what was your statistic about like uh, physical fights in school? If boys are fighting with they break oh, eye yeah, contact. Oh yeah, no. If if boys are fighting in a school, like middle school teachers especially are trained to do this because if you if boys are fighting, you just have to break their eye contact and they're fine and they'll like walk it off and like, I, um, and then girls, you can break their eye contact, you can drag them away from each other, but you have to move them to like physically different rooms until they have calmed down because even if you break their eye contact the like deep welling rage will still be there which reminds me of these two second graders who came into my office today and was like my arm hurts and my coworker was like oh do you need some ice and they were like yeah and he was like oh what happened uh i got bitten and the kid who bit him was the kid who walked him down to the office <laughs> These are boys? Yes. That is how dudes are. Yeah. It's, like, I think you could be like, uh, isn't that the guy you fought last week? And then it'll be like, yeah, but that's my boy. Yeah, and you're like, friends. men make no sense. <laughs> they make zero sense. Whereas Allison making Lydia take Styles to the hands, I totally understand that. Yeah, I do too. I totally get it. No, I, I think that's mm-hmm. excusable. I think it's very funny. Yeah. Because it's harmless to both of them. Because mm-hmm. Lydia's not even with Jackson anymore, so she was just gonna sit at home alone or go by herself or, like, pick up some, like, hot dude. And I think Allison mentions, like, mm-hmm. that Allison does something that mostly just humbles her. And mm-hmm. not in a way that is humiliating, not in a way that is physically endangering, and not even in the way that was ever gonna sacrifice any part of their friendship. She's like, it is embarrassing to me that my best friend made out with somebody I was dating. That's really, that mm-hmm. makes me feel shame. Yeah. Now you have to feel a little bit of my shame. Not even an equal amount of shame, probably. Yeah. True. Allison just elbows her to be like, you know what you did? And know that I can make this worse, which I think is how women communicate. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And what I think is really interesting is that Lydia's response to that was to offer to buy her a dress. And Allison was like, sure, but that's not good enough. Yeah. Because it's funny because I also really like that because um, it uh, a little bit denies like any kind of like materialism that comes from teenage girls. Yeah. 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 It's very much a tit for tat. Yes. So while we're kind of on the subject of Allison and Lydia, I think it's a good time to start talking about Styles and Lydia. Yes. I love them. I love them too. I mean, I don't think I've ever had like an OTP last through a whole show the way this one has, other than in Teen Wolf. Um, 
this was my second experience. I ship Bellark on the 100 forever and always. They're married in real life, so that kind of satisfies uh, my issue. But um, Stidia really touches my heart. It It is set up so well. They are intellectual equals, and Styles deeply respects her, which I think is something that she's not expecting. Mm-hmm. Which is what makes their relationship so good. Yeah. Um, and the fact that we have to wait so long for it to come to fruition. It feels organic. It doesn't feel like they're keeping that from us. No. F- throughout the series. Um, which I appreciate because I think sometimes there's like really willful misdirection between two people who you're like, oh my god, you have to be together. But when Styles and Lydia are finally a thing, it feels earned and it feels like that's how it was meant to happen. Yeah. And this episode is the inciting event of that journey. Yep. Um, yeah. We have a little, we have a couple issues with it. Because I think that Styles is actually manipulative to her when he gives her that speech on the dance floor. And he's like, I am the one who knows all these things about you. It's going to be me who's going to, you know, show the world how great you are, which is just like such masculine energy. It really is. The one thing that I will say about that, I, I think it is kind of manipulative, but I also think that this is kind of the first time that Styles has had an opportunity to say that to her. And I think he desperately wants her to know that he knows she's smart. Mm-hmm. And and he and that he values that. I think that he has good intentions. He does. And oftentimes this is this is the problem. Like if you don't call out this kind of behavior, it goes on to be a problem. But I think a lot of young boys, um, young men fall into these patterns of manipulation because it's what they see on television and because it's how they think women are supposed to talk to women. And it's typically not malicious, but it's like how they've been taught to interact with women. And so I don't think Styles is doing it like intentionally or maliciously, but it is, you know, manipulative. Yeah. Uh, well, I think what's interesting about it is that it is the one time... It, the one and only time he needs to tell her that I see through your facade. Mm-hmm. Because we've talked about this, about how Lydia's whole dumb thing is an act, and she does it because it keeps her on top of the social ladder. Like, mm-hmm. she's smart enough to know exactly what she needs to do to get to the top, which essentially Lydia manipulates the system. Mm-hmm. And Styles comes in and is like, well, you didn't get me. Yeah. I mean, I get why he says it. I do too. I just think it's kind of gross. It is a little gross. I I just I wish he, it wasn't so demanding. I think it would have been a lot more. I think it would have been a lot more nuanced to be like, for him to be like Lydia, like I really care about you, and if you can see that, you know, I'll be waiting for you on the dance floor or something like that. Instead of being like, mm-hmm. get up, get your cute butt up, and dance with me, which is just like, she doesn't know you shit. Even if you do see through mm-hmm. all, through every her whole you know structure. Like, she doesn't actually owe you that dance. And she's flattered and is charmed by the fact that you do see through it. But, like, she doesn't owe you anyway. <laughs> she really doesn't. I agree. She, she chooses to, obviously. You know, she doesn't yeah. have to even. Be, it's not like Lydia still has the agency to be like, I'm not going to fucking dance with you. But she does. Um, mm-hmm. I just don't like the phraseology, really. It's bad writing. It's boring writing. True. What I think redeems it later on in the, in the next scene or so is... I don't remember exactly what she said because I think we were talking, but um, it's something about I'm worried about Jackson, and Styles is like, right, Jackson. 
That's who you're in love with. Mm -hmm. Damn it. And he lets her go. Yeah, he does. And he walks away. He shouldn't have because she gets really hurt, but yeah. he didn't know that. Yeah, he shouldn't he have let her go. was coming. But he, he knew that that's what she wanted to do. He was like, do you want to go look for him? And she was like, yeah. And he was like, all right. Yeah. He doesn't, yeah, he doesn't hold her or yeah. anything. Yes. He, he lets her do They do dances she, very romantically. Like, when she puts her hand on the back of his neck, I was like, oh. Oh. Okay. Yeah, no, no space it's for Jesus in that one. No. That's very sweet. Is that a thing that people actually get told that dances, or is that just, like, a joke? Room for Jesus? Um, I mean, I was never told that specifically, but I was told not to dance so close to I feel people. like it was, like, face-to-face, leave some space, something like that. I mean, I didn't go to Catholic school, so it probably wouldn't have been leave room for Jesus. That would have been, um, inappropriate. Uh, you know, I should have done some recon. They just had a middle school dance. Ah! That would have been hilarious. A middle school dance. I'm just thinking about myself in, like, a cut-off denim skirt and an Abercrombie shirt dancing to Nelly. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> Them's no, were the no, days. We were talking about how what I wore to my first uh, prom was almost identical to Allison's dress, except that the top was black. Did it, you have a thing at your school where if it was a junior at prom, you had to wear a short dress? I don't know if it was a rule. Um, it wasn't I like just a, did it. It wasn't like a steadfast rule, but if you were a junior who was invited to prom at my high school, because you only had senior prom, if you were a junior who was invited to prom, it was like traditional that you would wear a shorter like cocktail dress as opposed to a gown because the long dresses were reserved for senior girls I guess um yeah I don't really think so because I remember I went to that prom with quite a few of my other friends who were juniors and they wore long mm. dresses mm. and I did it was kind of a mix like I don't prom was I a remember there was a junior ago. girl at my prom who wore a long dress and everyone was like did she really have to wear a long dress Prom was a long time ago, but I think the only reason why I really remember it is because that was the night I met Quentin Tarantino. I uh, got bronchitis. Bronchitis. Thank you. We both had bronchitis. Because we both had bronchitis. (laughs) I just met Quentin Tarantino. No, I. um, One day I'll tell you that story, Wolfpack, but today is not that day. Um, Let's talk about Peter. Uh, Speaking of later. So we're just going to jump from. From character to character. Because this is the origin of the Peter-Lydia relationship that defines a lot of season two. Which is the pinnacle of manipulation. Yeah. Oh, and bizarre as hell. So weird. Um, I... Peter is so strange because out of alpha form, he's not overtly threatening. If you didn't know him, the way that he talks to Allison at Macy's is... We were talking about this before, like, he's talking to her and it's so cringy and like, like, you're so uncomfortable, but nothing that he's saying specifically is making you feel that way. You as a woman are just like, this man is creepy. But then you walk away and you reanalyze the conversation and you're like, oh, I'm a jerk for thinking he's creepy because he didn't say anything quote unquote wrong. I don't think, I don't think I'm a jerk for saying that anyway, though. And I I don't even think that it's because I know Peter is up to, to... To no good, it, it is the very, he doesn't say anything, but it's the way that he's like, I think this would look nice on you, where he is treating her as like a, a physical form for which he can appreciate. Well, I think that both of us have the advantage of hindsight and being a little bit older than Allison is in this moment, because I think I now- think, But she's scared. She's terrified. Oh, she is terrified. But I also think that it, were I in that situation at 17, I would have walked away and been like, that's ridiculous. You shouldn't have been so scared. Now, as an adult, I'm like, no, that's terrifying and gross. Mm-hmm. But I don't think, again, when you're that young. And, like, she's 16. 
She's or she just turned seventeen. She's young. Yeah, she's young, and that's scary. Mm-hmm. Men are scary. Men are terrifying. They never stop being scary. <laughs> um, he also tries to break into uh, the animal clinic. Yeah. This is not even manipulation. This is actually just, like, brute force. Straight up threat. Yeah, and it's funny because I remember in, in when I was in acting class, we were talking about how, like, to have power in a scene is to make the most amount of change with the least amount of effort, and anything other than that is violence or, more specifically, might. And might is what Peter executes in that scene where he is using so much energy to achieve no change because he can't mm-hmm. get through the mountain ash and he ends up throwing the chair against the wall to, like, exhibit power that he doesn't have. Yeah, because we know that he's not, like, up to full strength um, at this point. Also, he just can't break through the mountain ash. Like, it's impossible. Yeah. He's wasting his time there because he knows that Deaton isn't going to give up Scott and Scott's not going to cross the little boundary or whatever. It's funny to me because both Deaton and Peter have, like, this very calm demeanor. Mm-hmm. And it's a really interesting contrast because Deaton's just kind of stone-faced. Like, he has no emotions. But you can tell that Peter is so mad. Yeah. But he is really trying to keep I it under I think that is like a, a, it is like a, it's like a war of finesse in there. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I think Peter as a villain, what he mostly has is finesse. Mm-hmm. He doesn't even necessarily always have, like, the most amount of strength. I mean, he when he is the alpha for a little bit and then he comes back and does some other crazy stuff later. But, like, it, mostly it's, like, um, emotional manipulation to get the upper hand. And when you have somebody like Deaton who is, like, completely unmoving because mm-hmm. his whole life has been defined by werewolves. Like, he is not going to be easily swayed. That's really interesting to me. It's like unstoppable force meets a movable object. <laughs> and once again, we're just pretending like they don't know each other. Yeah, like Deaton would know. They would. I mean, obviously, the Deaton writers had not thought this far, no. and we should not give them any credit as to think that they might have <laughs> ever because they do a bad job. But but here's the thing: if we're gonna if we're gonna sit here and we're gonna say, all right, Deaton knows about the werewolves. You have to have an explanation as to why he knows about the werewolves. And eventually that explanation is he's the emissary, he's the druid, he's whatever. If you're going to think that far ahead to Deaton knows about the werewolves, why can't you just walk that out to its logical conclusion? Or whatever. I don't know if that's a logical conclusion. It's just very dumb. No, they're sitting there. I think that they probably, I think they probably had seen him as like a sort of like pack advisor role, and then didn't quite fit him in as like anything like druidy until they were writing that season. It doesn't even need to be druid specifically, but if he if he were hanging out with the Hale clan or whatever the Hale pack, Peter is an unspecified number of years older than. Uh, Derek, but Age he's in the show his sister. Makes no, no, he's telling his brother. Sorry, yeah. Talia is his sister. It makes sense. One, that he would be her second in command. Two, that he would know Deaton. Yes, it just doesn't make any sense. It's, we're asking too much, but we, we are asking too much. <laughs> because but I would also actually, I would also ask this much of a show that has like more like of like you know. Hope television. Yeah. I would ask this much of any show. House. House. I do love yeah. House. House is not actually, I don't think, Hope television because no. it was technically a network show, but it is amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Peter's a, Peter's a sly one. And I also... He's just 
slimy. He is slimy. He's slippery. And we don't even get the full breadth of his slipperiness in this season. Like, no, he he grows. He evolves. He gets even slimier. Mm-hmm. He like he instead of having a, a tadpole to frog like evolution, he goes backwards. He gets slimier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's gross. But I also I love Peter. I think he's a very interesting villain. No, I do um, too. Especially when your other villain is Kate, who sucks. Oh my god, there's nothing about like. I mean, maybe it is the, the pure fact that Peter has, like, motivation, that we know his backstory, that we know why he's so disturbed. Mm-hmm. I have no but idea. But also, Kate has no finesse. Everything she does is so bombastic. It is so, like, it, everything is an explosion. It's wild. It's reactionary and, and weird. There's no plotting. It's just, like, pain. It's, it's like, uh, to uh, cause as much pain as possible in the least amount of time. Yeah. Kate is a villain who exhibits might. Yes. Almost always, whereas Peter is one who exhibits power. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting. It is. Do you have any other people you want to talk about before we move into Q's and O's? Um, going back to Allison really quickly, this isn't, I mean, kind of, sort of, mm, a little bit about manipulation. Allison has a run-in with the sheriff at the beginning of this episode. Oh, yeah. We didn't talk about this. But makes I, me feel weird. It, it makes me feel weird. Um... Allison is clearly trying to process her feelings, and we don't really know kind of what she's decided. Um, and she, okay, wow, I'm really building my train of thought, like building the train tracks as we go. Um, both Allison and Lydia have a moment in this episode where we're like, I can't let you think that I'm a stereotypical girl. Can't let you think that I'm a girl at all. Because Allison is like crying. And she's like, I need you to write me a ticket because I'm not crying to get out of this ticket. I know that I, like, broke a law or whatever. And then later on, Lydia says something very fast. Holland Roden, <laughs> get a voice coach. Um, but she's like, uh, girls turn into insecure neurotics and I'm not going to be one of those girls who just care about her looks. They both have an I'm not like other girls moment. Yeah, thank you. That's a much more succinct way of saying yes. it. Yes. I do have a thought about this. Please go on. So I was actually at this conversation with a friend the other day about the amount of media that's being put out right now that is starring women, but is essentially just something that would be made for men, and they've pants, like, they're basically pants rolling these women. Okay. Um, so, like, there's, like, like there's, like, a, a, an all-girl spy movie coming out right now. But that movie, like, regardless of how it's actually set up, I'm assuming, because it's being directed by a man... It's going to just be, like, a functional male spy movie, but they put women in those characters. And I often think that that's how men view treating women equally in media, because the automatic set is masculine. The default is masculine. The default is masculine, which is inherently frustrating. Mm -hmm. And instead of being, like, these women are strong, not in spite of being women, but because they are women, they are saying these women are strong in spite of being women. Which is what's really annoying about these two moments, because these women are amazing. Lydia is amazing. Allison mm-hmm. is amazing. And they're just kind of like, but it's because I am not actually a girl. It's gross. Yucky. Do you it's, not like? It's really gross. And, I, I mean, the thing is, this is, a, this is a teen show, and if you are... I actually don't even know how well that this would apply to teens nowadays, because they're also 
woke, so to speak. Yeah, Gen Z's like, I don't know what gender is. And I'm like, God, I wish that were me. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then they just vape and make TikTok videos. But I think that it, it's super, it was very relatable to me. Um, not that I watched this when I was in high school. No, but in, especially things. when we were in high school, mm-hmm. I think the most feminist you could be was to be not like other women. And obviously you learn, you get out of that space. But for a really long time, like, you wanted to be like Bella from Twilight wearing Converse to prom. Mm-hmm. You know? you know, it's so interesting because, like, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull this all the way back to Buffy, because we haven't talked about Buffy in a while. In a so. long time, no. But one of the interesting things about Buffy to me, and one of the things that makes it incredibly baffling to understand Joss Whedon's uh, trajectory post Buffy, because he seems to really like hate and not understand women. Is I know we don't need to get into that, but <laughs> we can do three whole bonus episodes on why we don't like Josh Whedon. Uh, episode one. I'm just kidding. Somebody at Marvel, please cast me. <laughs> um. So, the thing about Buffy is that, like, yes, she is the Slayer and has superhuman speed and strength, but like, she cute and she like does her hair and she wears these cute clothes and her nails are always done and like she wears jewelry and like she is a very traditionally feminine girl Mm -hmm. but she's still a total badass and at no point at all is she asked to explain away or like compensate for her femininity she's not asked to be like oh but that's just like stuff that I do because whatever like she is allowed to be both things and I'm just like why was that Buffy and then like the rest of all teen media was like no yeah you either have to be feminine or strong uh, those two things can't coincide. Sorry. Yeah. And as much as, like, I hear, think of this as another example, as much as you and I both love 10 Things I Hate About You. Yes. I know. I know. I'm aware. Yeah. I mean, like. I'm aware. I, no. Dude, I know. I know. I know. You know. I make endless exceptions <laughs> for that movie that, dude, they, that the movie doesn't even deserve. Um, yeah. But, like, that is the default in that movie. It really is. Yeah. Um, it's just kind of a bummer. And I do think that Allison and Lydia evolve um, throughout the course of the show. And OP. Once Lydia gets to be just like smart Lydia, she is just hot smart girl. Yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah. Um, and nobody, and there's nothing that challenges her at any point for her to not be just like hot and also a genius. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we love Lydia Martin and Allison. And, and I think even Allison gets a little bit, like Allison gets to be like a very like, she doesn't have breakdowns about not feeling strong anymore. Like she's mm-hmm. just strong and also a hottie. Like I yeah. know I've talked about this scene. <laughs> I know I've talked about this scene before, but the scene where she attacks Isaac and yes. she's in those fishnets, I'm just like, this is great. You're great. It's I love hot. you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, the two hottest people ever on Teen Wolf in that scene just helps. That's. I can't wait till we get to talk about Isaac. I know. I'm so excited. Christian's pumped. I. I. Daniel Sharman looks like the David. He's a little too skinny, but I see what you're saying. Okay. I Anyway, um, there was one other thing that I wanted to talk about. I guess kind of we could move into observation, but this is something that maybe deserves a little bit more discussion. Chris exposes Scott to Allison. To Allison. A- after manipulating Jackson into doing what exactly? I don't know. I don't know. Jackson doesn't play an active role. He just shows up and looks sweaty. Yeah, he does. Like, oh, I think he, like, tells them where 
No. No, he d- he sees Styles and he's like, I made a boo-boo. And like, <laughs> we don't know why. No. He doesn't. Like, <laughs> Allison and Scott go outside on their own, so I don't really. Does he tell Chris where they're going? Like, I genuinely don't know. Je ne sais pas. Yeah, I mean, that could have been safe for my questions and observations. But Chris does show up and is like, oh, Jackson, you. You dummy. You dumbass. <laughs> You complete and utter idiot. Jackson really is a ding dong. And I know Jackson's smart and we've talked about Jackson. Yes. Jackson. If you have not been on our Twitter and you have not seen the I think I will chart, uh, which basically is just an axis on uh, I will either solve or cause problems on purpose or by accident. And um, Jackson sometimes causes problems on purpose and sometimes on by accident, but Chris Argent, this entire season has just caused problems by accident. Um, and this yeah, is just I, like yeah, he doesn't listen to anyone. He doesn't know what's going on. I do have a question though. Well, maybe we should just move into questions and observations. Okay, I just wanted to throw out there that um, Chris is there and exposes. Okay, well then let's. Well, we're gonna mm-hmm. pause now. We're gonna move into questions and observations I, where we can make observations and ask questions and okay. Hopefully figure out what the hell the writers were trying to do on this show. Good luck to Here's us. my question. Yeah. When Chris exposes Scott to Allison, does he know that she knows? Did Kate tell her? Did Kate, Kate tell him that she, that she had shown him, shown Allison Derek? You know, we had the one big siren at the beginning of the episode, and I was like, maybe that's our siren for the episode, but... I've completely blacked that out. I don't remember that happening oh. before. Oh no, there's another one. Oh good. The other day well, there was like a there's... five alarm fire. There were like five fire trucks that went down the street. Oh my gosh. Do you know where the fire was? Nope. No idea. Well. I also heard someone yelling, I'm gonna kill you outside our window. Um Yeah, but that's just living <laughs> in the city. Yeah. <laughs> well, I also like looked out the window and I couldn't see anyone and I was like, you know what? I don't know. I I can't call the cops. I don't know where. First of all, I'm not a narc, and second of all, I don't, I don't know what's happening. Yeah. Um. Anyway, what were you saying? Okay. Does Chris find out from Kate that Kate has shown Allison Derek, and is that why he exposes Scott to Allison? Ah, uh, no, I don't think so. So he's just doing this of his own volition. I don't. Okay. So in that scene, I think it's kind of unclear whether or not. Uh, Chris knows that Allison's on the bus. Like, I think that he sees Scott and he's like, oh, time to play chicken. Um, I don't know that he knows that Allison is there to begin with. And secondly, Kate is down in the dungeon basement that I am convinced is under the Hale House, but I'm sure someone has pointed out that I'm wrong. Um, No one ever points out when we're wrong, which makes me think we're always right or people are not (laughs) listening that hard. Hmm. Wolfpack... You are welcome to tell us when we're wrong. We welcome it, yes. Um, no, because I think that Kate's just been, like, in the dungeon all day hanging out with Derek. Because she gets that message from him being like, I'm tired of leaving voicemails. Yeah. And she's like, all right, time to kill Derek. She licks Derek. It's disgusting. It's gross. As we've previously mentioned. Well, actually, I... Ugh, I also really dislike the way that it was directed that she lick him. Because... She doesn't lick his face, which I think is often the way that you exhibit, like, sort Disgust. of... Dis- like, well, just, like, grotesque, like, sexual dominance in, like, villainy situations. Like, yeah. I think there's a, t- there's a time in um, 
do you have a thought? Yeah, Wait, I do. Let me get Please to go on. There's, I think there's a time in, like, the second season of Sherlock where, like, one of the villains licks a woman's face. Mm-hmm. What they direct her to do is to get down on her knees and lick up, which yeah. is gross. That is gross. Do not ask a woman to do that when she's in the position of power in this situation. It grossed me out. Yeah. Um, but this is directed by Russell Mulcahy and in Highlander. And in Highlander. In Highlander. Um, the evil guy is called the Kurgan, and he's a yeah. Russian, and it's very confusing. And one of the um, one of the things is like that they can't fight on holy ground, so like the two main characters are having a, a conversation in the church, and like the Kurgan is disgusting looking. He's got like safety pins in his neck, and this priest comes up to him and is like, "I need you to leave because you're freaking me out." <laughs> and the Kurgan's like, "Yeah, yeah, sure, I'll do it," and like grabs the priest's hand and like licks his hand, like just. Dis- Disgusting, but I don't know. Maybe that's like what Russell Mulcahy is into. Maybe. Oh no, All I think I think licking is often mm-hmm. something where it is like, uh, it is basically like it is a, a way to remind you that you don't have agency over your own body in that situation. Mm-hmm. But in a situation when you have Kate lick his abs and like get down to do that, it actually takes away. It actually also puts the onus that like she also doesn't have bodily autonomy, which no. like, it just grossed me out. Yeah, she's like, mm, yeah. She, if she'd licked his face, I would have been like, that's gross, I'm kind of into it. Yeah. And I don't even like Kate, but I think that that would be a power move. Yeah. Or if she had, like, you know, bit him in some way, but it was just that position where I'm like, a man directed her to do that. Yep. Hundo percent. I mean, we know a man directed her to do that. <laughs> Men. Um, be man. better. God, be better. Ew. Anyway, do you have any other questions? Yeah. I also have questions, but you um, One of my questions is the scope lasers that Jackson sees in the forest. And thinks they're eyes because he's a ding-dong? Yeah. Was that intentional or just, like, sheer dumb luck that he wandered up to them? Um, I think Jackson is so drunk at that point that, like, I don't think that they're looking for Jackson. Okay. I think, and he, we also know that Jackson has been hallucinating the eyes since he got scratched. During mm-hmm. the headphone bit, like, yeah. seven episodes ago. Yeah, I think he's looking for the eyes, because that's what terrifies him most. Like, when Scott closes his eyes to him in the beginning of the episode, mm-hmm. I think Scott, I think Jackson is just, like, hammered and, like, in the woods. And, like, they were coming anyway, obviously, to intimidate Scott, and they were going to take the roundabout way, so they went through the woods and then stumbled upon drunk Jackson. But this leads to my question. Mm-hmm. Why does Jackson still want to be a werewolf? Why? Why? And even if he still wants to be one, why does he still want to be one with this amount of urgency? After almost dying? After almost being maybe eaten? I think we have to go back to the last episode and Derek's observation, I don't think there's ever been a day in your life when you haven't been scared of something. Very sexy of Derek. Very. Oh, that's a really good one-liner. Um, I think that Jackson just lives in fear every day. And especially now that he knows that, like, werewolves are real and they might eat you. um, I think he views that as the ultimate way to stop being afraid. Which is so deeply sad. Yeah. Like, I don't want Jackson to feel that way. No. Um, I don't want anyone to feel that way. Yeah. Well, and I also think that he's still having, like, hallucinations from being clawed by a dying Derek. Um, I actually think that possibly the um, 
Why was I about to say moonshine? Wolfsbane. Wolfsbane. I was just about to say, I, wait, can I ask Wolfsbane? a retroactive question? Did the Wolfsbane affect the way the claws... That is exactly yeah. what I'm thinking right now. Um, <gasps> Maybe we just discovered something. Is that Because oh. they would have been deep enough to change him, probably. Was it the Wolfsbane that made it so he didn't change? Maybe. But or, also probably that poisoned the reaction. I think so. Um, I am also briefly wondering, though, if we talked about that in that episode. Well, I'll, I'll go back and listen. <laughs> I mean, I won't, because I don't want to no. do that, but I'll but, think about it. Um, I think he just wants to not be afraid anymore. And I think he, like, wants it to stop. Because, like, if you're having a panic attack, you want this, that shit to stop, like, as soon mm-hmm. as you possibly can. Yeah. So... It's interesting that Jackson's version of not being afraid is to become an, a werewolf and, like, to achieve... To to um, uh, achieve power, whereas Allison's version of becoming strong is to fight werewolves and to dominate power. Well, Jackson's a man. Yeah, I know. No, I do think that's interesting. I just think it's in it. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you have any other observations? Any observations? We haven't covered observations yet. Two. Um, Melissa McCall is a very brave woman. She's so brave, and I love her so much. That phone call is uh, devastating. She is so unbelievably lonely, and she has mm-hmm. sacrificed so much of like, like emotional support and physical comfort she could have gotten from other people in, in the ways of just working hard and raising her son and like doing her best and just being at work. If she's not at work, she's taking care of him and stuff, which is I think uh, the choice that a lot of women have to make. And it's just sad. What I appreciate about Teen Wolf is that we see the sheriff in a very similar situation, and so it's not just a gendered single mom thing. No, it helps it's that no one's parent. allowed to have both parents on Teen Wolf. Yeah, so um, you can kind of later see it was really the, bad. Yeah, or you can kind of later see it with Chris, mm-hmm. who spends a lot less time single than everybody else. But we know what happens to Veronica. Is her name Veronica? We looked it up. I'm pretty sure it's Veronica. Huh. Victoria. Victoria, yep. Is it no, Victoria? Uh, yeah, it is Victoria. Sorry, there's so a girl like, Veronica. Veronica. I was Veronica. Yeah, no, I just think that that's so sad. And the fact that, like, Scott hears her crying and he can't do anything about it. Uh, Ooh. Teen Wolf pulls no punches. Like, they really hit you where you live. Um, and then uh, Coach Finstock, the only good straight ally to gay people. <laughs> it is. Oh, I, I said this to you. When Scott pulls Danny into the dance. It's bad. It's bad. It's so tokeny. Like Danny ends up spend, spends spends a lot of time being like the gay butt of every joke. Yep. And like his his queerness is often like um exploited by the other characters. Mm-hmm. But the idea that coach would be showing anybody any side of him that was ho- like any ho- kind of homophobic like so deeply upsets <laughs> coach Finstock and we know that that he like is a huge fan of Danny. Is it in this season where he's like, you know, Danny's gay? Is that this season? I don't think so. But there's also that I- incredible moment uh, in, in like season, season five, five with Mason and, and his twink boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> um, where he's like, go gays! Yeah, 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 I have that gif on my phone. I send it to people regularly. <laughs> I, I mentioned to you that like Coach is somebody who I think like by choice gets all of his emotional fulfillment from his time spent with his students and like though he is kind of a dickbag, especially to style sometimes, he really could would never want any of them to think that he didn't appreciate them for who they were. Yep. <laughs> Except when Coach goes to rehab for like six months. I think 
Coach Finstock like really embodies chaotic good. Yeah, like oh. he verges on like chaotic good. And, he like, makes the last big kill chaotic, of the show. But do you remember? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's the best. Um, I love him. He's just chaos in a in a tracksuit. Like, like I, I, I just think about Coach, and I think about the teachers who I like loved in high school, and I'm like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, a little bit. I had this one um, history teacher who taught my AP US class. And um, he was beautiful and, like, really tall and had, like, silver hair and also coached sailing, but was also the weirdest motherfucker on this planet, <laughs> I swear to God. And I was, like, very nervous in my PUS class um, because I was a sophomore and it was, like, I never wanted to feel like I was being stupid, feel, being stupid, acting stupid or saying anything dumb. And I, the way that my lunch lined up, like, I always got there first because we had shifting lunches and it was, like, fifth hour or something like that. And I got there first. I'm sitting there, like, nobody is even close to coming in the classroom yet. And Cooper goes, Christian, do you believe? And I was like, what? And he was like, well, do you believe? And I was like, believe in what, Mr. Cooper? And he was like, Christian, do you believe in life after love? And I was like, excuse me? And then he hit, like, the on button for the for the smart board and shares music video for Believe played for two minutes before anybody else got in the classroom and we just kind of stared at each other for two minutes with Cher playing in the background and like from that moment on like we became really he was one of my favorite teachers we had a really close like relation not like weird but a close relationship when I was in high school he was amazing and I was just kind of like he knew exactly what he needed to do to make me feel less nervous about being in this class and it just culminated in us listening to Cher (laughs) it was just like when I think about Coach Finstock I think about that moment with Mr. Cooper that's phenomenal. He truly was the weirdest person I have ever met in my entire life. I never had a truly strange, uh, strange prof- like professor. God, I never had just, like a truly strange uh, teacher in high school. I do remember my um, my Ivy English teacher. We had to do a song and anal- we had to do project analyzing a song, um, and we were all like, "I bet you that she either brings in a song." Uh, by Melissa Etheridge or the Indigo Girls and we took bets on it and it was the Indigo Girls. <laughs> Were you right? Oh, yeah. Because mm-hmm. she's hella gay. Um, and yeah, I was about also, to be like, is she a lesbian? Yeah, no, no, no. And like really encouraged me to like embrace being a little queer queer BB. Um, a baby gay? Yeah, a baby gay, if you will. Um, yeah, she was delightful and also strange, but not in the Coach Finstock way. I've but never no, met I su- I've never met a real life uh, incarnation of Coach Finstock. For a long time, there was a rumor going around that Mr. Cooper had been an underwear model. I do not know if that was true. He did have several tattoos that were Andy Warhol prints. Just, I mean, but he also wore, like, khakis and sweater vest, but instead of a long-sleeve shirt under his sweater vest, he'd wear a short-sleeve shirt under his sweater vest. So that's strange. A wild man with, like, like, Nikes. (laughs) Did he have, like, a Campbell suit? I'm I'm having a hard time conceptualizing it, but I I understand what you're saying. We never saw them. We just knew of them. Oh, he'd be like, "Well, I have this, the here, and this here." Again, he was the weirdest motherfucker to walk this planet, Mr. Cooper. If you're out there, hi. <laughs> <laughs> he also taught. He was also like my study hall teacher senior year, and I had a first hour, and he would just leave the window open for us to come in late and like not be caught by the hall monitor. So we'd like walk into the window because it was on the first floor. Nice. He was a great guy. Shout out to high school teachers who actually care about their students. Um, if you were an English teacher or a history teacher, you rocked. And if you were a math teacher, you're a cop. 
Uh, I had a cop history teacher, actually. I did, too. I, yeah, his name was Mr. Hefner, and he taught a uh, honors world. Mr. Blot was also um, the athletic director. Only one year they replaced all the signs in the school, and they forgot the L in athletic director, so someone put a P in front of it, and for the whole year, he was the pathetic director. <laughs> That's really funny. It was really excellent. Um, one time, he just didn't have lesson plans for us, so we watched bug videos from National Geographic. That's funny. My, 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 Mr. Hefner was like, he was like one of those people who was like a swimmer in his day, like that's the kind of athlete he was um and he had like a shaved head and like once um broke his knee at a dropkick murphy's concert like he sucked (laughs) (laughs) the reality of what you said sunk in a little late but that is truly hysterical (laughs) he came in with like a giant brace and we're like what happened Observations. No, I think I'm good. No, I didn't know me either. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, wait, wait. Here's what I'm gonna say. Coach Finstock was Mr. Cooper, and Mr. Harris was Mr. Hefner. Oh. Yeah. There's my Teen Wolf. There's how I related back to Teen Wolf. <laughs> anyway. Gross. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'm so sorry. This. What? Holiday cards. I know, I'm gonna say that. Oh, okay, sorry. That's part of the outro. My bad. Anywho, thank you guys so much for listening. I'm so sorry this episode was so late and is possibly a little rambly because we kind of forgot how to do this in our holiday break. Um, next week we'll be doing the season finale of season one and then we're going to be taking a little bit of a hiatus until January where we start season two. Honestly, like with the holidays, with work, with a bunch of other stuff, it's just not going to be good consistent programming so we're gonna take a break if we can manage it there will be a, a bonus up there'll be a bonus up or two we have a couple we're thinking about um and my last thing that i want to tell everybody is that um until saturday of this week what's what will that date be it will be december something seventh uh, until December 7th, this Saturday, we will still be accepting addresses if you would like a Christmas card from us. So if you would like our holiday card, not Christmas, holiday, we will put whatever holiday you want on there. Um, if you would like a holiday card from us, you just have to DM us your address. If you want a physical card, if you'd like an e-card, just give us your email address and we'll send you it for your wintertime holiday niceness. Yes, um, Yes, by the seventh, we've got a couple. We've got a couple people who I know we're sending cards to. We're really excited to send them to you guys. Um, do you have any more updates? No, just that uh, missed you guys. Glad to be back. I did miss you guys. Yeah. Also, uh, if you like this episode or any of our episodes, please leave us a review on iTunes because um, it's gonna how we're gonna probably gonna be how we're finding a lot of people in our wolf pack. Um, but also tell your friends and retweet us. Yeah, just you follow know. us on Tumblr. Give us a little boost. Yes. Uh, if you'd like to be able to retweet us, our Twitter is at TeenWolf underscore WeWolf. That is also our Instagram handle, and from there you can follow our personal Instagrams and Twitters. Um, our Tumblr is at TeenWolfRewolf. Yeah, that's about yep. it. There's nothing on the Tumblr. Sorry. <laughs> I post episodes there, and I'm trying to get better at, like, engaging in fandom, but... Yeah. Again, I'm... We have I'm a old. lot going on. We do. We have we, a lot going and on. And we love you all so much. We do so much. Um, if you guys ever have questions and observations, may I remind you that you're always welcome to submit them on Twitter. Please come talk to us. We're lonely. If you I mean, have I'm not, but long opinions, uh, email us. Emails, DMs, 
Um, we might even share them on the air. This we is will. not the air, but you know. Yeah, for any inquiries, inquiries, mm-hmm. inquiries, just inquiries. email us. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. At which is just Teen Wolf Rewolf at Gmail. Um, that was the worst, most like in um, efficient outro we've ever done. I feel like we deserve it after this very long, long episode. It is long. We love you guys. And we hope you have a wolf of a week. Awoo! Bye!